My name's Rad, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Listeners and welcome to Fanholes Fright Fest, the month where we talk about uh, scary things. Yeah, cause what October's uh, Halloween, I think, something like that. I don't know. In whatever case, this is the Transformers Tuesday portion of Fright Fest, and uh, I've picked two uh, spooky, I guess, Transformers stories uh, from uh, early on in the franchise that I thought were pretty appropriate and they they have similar themes and like similar tropes i'd say and you know i just thought they were appropriate for halloween themed stories but uh before we get into that uh i am joined by at least one of my fellow fan holes uh the other one might show up later who knows but who's here right now uh derek derek wc is spookily here in the background Ah, keep it away <laughs> And you are so, you are completely alive, right? You're not undead, are my, you? My well, you know, there's lots of uh, there's lots of fan art of me with an uh, arm missing and an eyeball hanging out and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm here. I'm I'm sort of in one piece. So we should really like market a like fan hole zombies like spinoff or something. According to all marketing like models, that would sell like hotcakes. Hotcakes, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah we so. could just come on and be like. And we'll, we'll keep Justin's, like, head, like, floating around on a little, like, plate or something. Like, uh, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Like, the marketing boys will figure it out. Nice. But, uh, in any case, um, we're going to lead off with a story from the Marvel UK comics. Uh, of course, like, when you say Marvel UK comics, like, you have a pretty much, like, 95% chance of, like, getting a Simon Furman story, and this is, indeed, a Simon Furman story, um, and it's what's collectively known as City of Fear, and it's basically his take on, like, the zombie genre. And some lingering remnants of his memory and personality. But without our circuit implants, he would be utterly mindless, an ordinary machine. A robotic zombie. It's it spread over six issues, um, from, uh, issue, uh, 164 through 169, I believe. And, yeah. yeah, of the UK comic, the big magazine-sized one, and it was uh, spread out over the month of May in 1988, so technically this came after the uh, second thing we'll discuss tonight, but, like, we're, we're just gonna do it before, and, uh, yeah, so City of Fear, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, since... It's six issues, but they're split up into, like, three stories, basically. So I'm going to read the summaries off the wiki, which is always helpful to have, um, of each story, or, you know, each two-part. And, you know, this is 
all collectively known as City of Fear, but, you know, each, each sto story does have its own title, so, uh, here we go. Issues 164 to 165 are known as, as you might assume, City of Fear. And uh, it's written, obviously, by Simon Furman, with art by Dan Reed. A terrified Autobot finds himself in the middle of Callus, once described as reasonably safe, and now all but abandoned as a city of fear. The Autobot curses himself for not heeding Jamuk's advice to keep hidden, and then turns to find himself confronted by a decaying, apparently dead Autobot. This zombie advances and tears a hole right through its hapless victim. On Earth, Ultra Magnus and the Sparkler Minibots prepare to transport back to the Autobot Resistance's new base of operations on Cybertron, in Kallus, where they are to meet with Emirate Zaron and the Wreckers. The Dimensional Portal arrives on cue, but when they travel through it, they find the Autobot base abandoned and damaged by weapons fire. Traveling outside, they find the scavenging empties run away from them in fear, and the other Transformers they encounter won't even open the door to their hideout. Ultra Magnus suggests they head out of Kallus to see if the strangeness is localized, and the four of them head toward the border with Tyrest. There, they find the border heavily fortified, as if the inhabitants of Kallus had been trying to keep something out, or the rest of Cybertron had been trying to keep something in. Before they can ponder this disquieting thought, they are attacked by the Duocons, leading a Decepticon battle group. The Sparklers are hit and knocked to the ground, prompting Ultra Magnus to take action. He knocks flywheels out of the air, and the Autobots retreat into Kallus with their captive, where the other Decepticons are afraid to follow. Upon awakening, Flywheels reacts with horror when he discovers where he is. He tells the Autobots that they should have just killed him because the dead have risen in Kallus. The Autobots think he is joking until decayed hands begin sprouting out of the ground and grabbing at their feet. Ultra Magnus and the Sparklers attempt to retreat but find they are surrounded by the walking dead. While Magnus tries to come to terms with the seemingly impossible, Flywheels asks him a more pertinent question. Can I have my gun back so I can shoot these things? When Magnus refuses, Flywheels transforms to tank mode and uses his built-in cannon to destroy the zombies. Sizzle and Fizzle follow suit and use their high-temperature spark jets to set fire to great swaths of the undead horde. At first, Ultra Magnus approves, but when he sees his attacker was once an Autobot, he calls a ceasefire, in case these reanimated Transformers can later be revived. Though Flywheels disagrees, he's persuaded by the Autobots to comply, and they retreat. Away from the action, Ultra Magnus deduces that the apparently undead robots are actually being reanimated by a remote signal, but it takes the brilliant intellect of Flywheels to suggest that they try to jam that signal. He leads the Autobots to the old Baird beaming transmitter, where Ultra Magnus reluctantly returns his gun, knowing he may have to rely on the Decepticon to watch his back. Flywheels is as good as his word and covers Magnus as he jams the signal. After the undead have been deactivated, Magnus reveals that the signal that controlled them was coming from beneath the surface of Cybertron. So yeah, that was issues 164 and 165. Collective, uh, the story was collectively known as City Affair, which is also the name of this entire arc which, you know, mostly is known by fans, and, like, when they collect it in trade, they just overarchingly call it the City of Fear. 
But, uh, yeah, so, um, let me ask, Derek, like, when did you first encounter this story when you were, like, I assume it's, like, when you were, like, me, and you were, like, encountering, like, trying to, like, read through the UK comics, like, for the first time or whatever, but had you ever heard of it before, or? I don't think so, like, because I'm trying to, like, the the memories I have of getting to sneak in my best friend's brother's room to occasionally, like, peruse the UK magazines, like, were far and few between, and I remember specific things mostly about, like, Lord Straxus and around that time period were some of the magazines I was looking at and everything, so I think this was probably too far into the run by that point. I think this was probably, because this, this came out in, what, 1988, right? Yeah. Like, so I'm, I'm trying to think, like, well, no, I mean, I don't know. That like that would have been I mean, that 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 probably would have been like uh, you know, when I was in middle school. So, I'm I'm not sure if I read this when it came out. Like I would probably say I I read this online, you know, when we all kind of discovered that we could, you know, find scans of the the UK comics, you know, uh, on our our crusty dial-up connections and everything, uh, you know, whatever those websites were that hosted them Angel, back in the day. Angel Fire website. Yeah. yeah. You know, like so so my guess is I probably read this on one of those like on Angel Fire or something like that. And then I think the next time I read this and I haven't read this in a really long time, but probably the next time i read it was in that that series of titan book reprints that came out because i i remember buying all of those as they came out at the comic shop and everything and i'm trying to think but that must have been like 2000 or 2001 like i mean i'm, I'm guessing when yeah, that... those, those big oversized like titans yeah like, collections yeah i, rem- I, I so think, yeah and and I know I know I was kind of kvetching to you before we started the show, but it, it was like one of those things where I was trying to like wrap my head around, you know, wh- basically what you assigned us to read seems to be the correct thing to read if you're trying to look at the City of Fear arc because, you know, we're reading these, you know, essentially three stories that span, you know, six weekly comic books from the UK series. But like in that Titan trade, I think there was like another you know, extra story that was, you know, just kind of like another one-off, you know, to sort of pad out the the trade, I guess, so to speak. And then I know that IDW has their own series of reprints where they they made this like a six-issue miniseries, you know, titled, you know, UK Classic City of Fear. And it's like what we read covers like, I think, the first three issues of that and then and then the fourth and fifth issue is like you know i i I, this is not begrudging the story or anything i think it's a an awesome story but it's like you know galvatron kicking the shit out of the piranacons and stuff and like other kind of you know ultra magnus fighting in like gladiator battles and things that don't really have any association with this sort of primary theme of you know what if transformers turned into zombies and 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 how does that play out on cybertron you know like that's kind of the basic gist of the pitch here and like i mean it's it's cool i mean it's an interesting thing like i i can't say i'm i'm like i don't have any like strong love for like the spark bots so i guess in that sense like maybe it helps the story because like i i think i kind of feel like 
you know, if, if you're going to make, like, modern-day comparisons, it's like, well, Ultra Magnus is, like, the Rick Grimes of the story, but, like, all the Sparkbots, like, you know, it's like, dude, sizzle, fizzle, and guzzle? You're like, come on, man. Like, are they really going to make it through this, like, intact? Yeah. Like, like it does it does kind of play with your your expectations, you know, and, and, and maybe you think, like, some of these other guys aren't long for the this cyber world or, or what have you. So, like, that, that part of it, I think, is interesting. Ironically, I, I do kind of have a strong connection to flywheels. I don't think I ever own flywheels, but I feel like friends I had, like, that I played Transformers with did own flywheels. So, for some reason, to me, flywheels, like stood out in in this storyline and then the other reason why flywheel stood out was because i i you know it's it's odd because it's been reprinted a number of times but it feels like he's always miscolored in all these stories like because wasn't he kind of like a a maroon plane and a and kind of like a brown tank like that that's kind of what i thought I he was i think right? so yeah like he's kind of like yeah i know he's greenish i guess and, it, yeah. yeah it seems like they tried to make him like more like a military tank like that he's green which i i, I can see why a colorist would do that but well speak speaking of the, and you, yeah. you you probably didn't notice this since clearly you don't care about like the sparka bots or the sparkler mini bots or whatever but consistently in marvel uk uh fizzle and sizzle like their colors are completely swapped like all the time like, oh oh and you, are they are they like are they like sizzle is sizzle is red you know frenzy is blue or yeah pretty much but well it's funny cuz it's like fizzle is supposed to be totally blue but they color him red in robot mode. But when he transforms to his car mode, he's blue. Like he's he's the correct color. So they they trans when they're in vehicle modes, they're their correct colors. But when they're in robot modes, their robot mode colors are swapped. So it's like okay, well some something got like wires some wires got crossed there. But I think I think maybe it's worth mentioning, and and they do mention this on the the TF wiki, but. Uh, issue 195 of our army at war which is like a sergeant rock title basically at that time like from dc comics like has a cover and it's it's a lot like the the first cover to to city at war in issue 164 like kind of how they've got you know magnus and the other spark bots basically and then you can see the sort of zombie transformers hovering over them. Of course, in the case of, you know, Sergeant Rock, it's set during World War II, so it's like a bunch of Nazis with rifles kind of targeting Sergeant Rock and, and, like, his group, basically. So It's funny, like you said, that Ultra Magnus is the Rick Grimes of this of the, these two issues. Like, I, I felt that way up until, like, he becomes, like, Herschel, because he's like, well, these zombies could still be cured or whatever. Like, these, <laughs> yeah, these yeah, fucking yeah. things could still, like, be okay. And I'm like, oh, you moron. No, they can't. Like, I, Well, you know, you know, it's it's interesting because because they're Transformers. You, you kind of have a different vantage point from it. Like, because I, I, I think when I was reading it, I get that. Furman's playing with zombie tropes, but it's interesting because these are robots personified as human beings, right? And like, 
even in a zombie apocalypse, like if a zombie apocalypse was to happen tomorrow, but you had all this zombie fiction in your head, like you might be in the state of mind that you're in. Like, oh, come on, there's no recovering from becoming a zombie. Just shoot the thing in the head. It, you know, it's not human anymore. You know, move on and and try to survive, basically. Like that's that's the tenant of, of most of these kind of, you know, apocalyptic, zombie kind of you know films and tv series and franchises and everything but you know i i have to admit like coming to it from the vantage point of this is the race of transformers and it does turn out that they're just being controlled by radio signals <laughs> like conceivably like ultra magnus has a point you know like conceivably yeah. And if you can jam the radio signal, you know, who's to say, like, you couldn't reverse the the signal that's causing that in the first place, you know, like, at, at the very least, you know, it, it's not like they would all miraculously come back to life, but at the very least, you know, that they would be left to rest in peace, you know, at, at a bare minimum, you know? Did you notice some... Um... And uh, Furman mentions this in the commentary to the when this was reprinted in the Marvel UK Classics uh, collection uh, recently that Flywheels just kind of transforms into a tank like in like he, he he's a jet at one point and then he turns into a tank so he's pretty much a triple changer and Simon Furman kind of says in the commentary he's like yeah I know the toys don't do that but it was like I didn't want to deal with the gimmick or whatever so. That, that that they were two separate, yeah. You know, and then they talk about how they do that with a lot of the characters in the, you know, like that. That's kind of how they treated Skylinks in the comics. Like it's not like it's not like he was the Lynx and the Op the Opteryx. It was like he was he was just one or the other, you know. Yeah. Um. I think the last thing I wanted to ask you about these two issue issues is, what do you think of Dan Reed's art? Because like, I don't, I, uh, he's never going to be, like, one of my favorite, like, Marvel, like, Transformers artists, but, like, he definitely has, like, a really distinct style. Like, it's, like, people like to say his art is, like, wobbly Transformers or something. Like, no one has any, like, straight edges. I I, I can see that, but, I mean, I, I, I think the, the, the craftsmanship and the design of it is... I mean, he, he composes some really cool-looking shots. I mean, especially with all this kind of zombie stuff where there's hordes of guys, like, you know, surrounding them in a circle or, you know... I, I mean, I can see what, what you're saying. Like, you know, that, that there is that cartoony aspect to something that is, strictly speaking, you know, supposed to be robotic. But, I mean, I, I, I feel like it works, especially in terms of, like, just comic books, you know, like the, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it with some of the other issues, but I mean, there, there's certainly characters other than, you know, I mean, I mean, right now I'd say the two main people that I keyed in on in this two issue arc was ultra Magnus and, and flywheels. But even like some of like the, when they first come across these zombies and stuff, I mean, that one head they picked up almost seems like, cup's head in a way like that he's become yeah. like this vampiric zombie or something like that and and you know as much as you know the the opening sequence or whatever you know with that that poor bastard autobot who 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 gets his basically his 
his spark ripped out or whatever, right, by by a zombie Autobot. Like, even that, like, I mean, I I, I think that splash of him where he's talking about, you know, his buddy J-Muck, who's probably, you know, friends with Jason or whatever, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. But like, like I, I think it's it's it sets a, a tone and a scene and everything. Like I've I've never been overly critical of people having a style. I think. I mean, maybe maybe in that sense, you know, a lot of people would think I'm too forgiving. But I mean, I I can see like there's there's cool foreshortening. There's there's a lot of cool kind of like the 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 zombified transformers don't look like the standard transformers do you know what i mean yeah. like like so so like i don't i mean i i, I just kind of feel like this is that's like good storytelling just like yeah you, I, I, there's I a think... clear delineation between like a healthy transformer and like the zombies yeah and, and uh, so i mean yeah you you may not put him in in a list of you know k-e-w-l artists or whatever or hot artists or whatever but i mean i i think you know for sure like he's a good storyteller and and i it's like i was never confused you know what i mean like like i i think people take a lot of those things for granted you know and it's like it's like you you have to work and learn and kind of hone your craft to get that. And to me, I, I mean, I, you know, just speaking from a creative standpoint, I mean, stuff like this can be really difficult where you guys, you know, you've got guys that turn into, you know, trucks and tanks and all this kind of other stuff and keeping everybody kind of straight, you know, and, and I think he did a pretty good job of that, you know, so yeah. I, I, you know, I could follow what was going on and I sort of, you know, no, uh, no, uh, you know, I, I would say I, I appreciate the art, you know? Yeah. Like, no, what I did like is when, the Autobots encounter that Decepticon patrol, like keeping like the like the border of Callus. Like there's some weird like giant like Adat thing like along with the Decepticons or whatever like like firing on them, which I, I thought was I, I like it when they do like generic stuff. Like you're like, whoa, what is that? Like in with the you know the toys they're trying to sell too. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, so I think that's all, you know, we have to say about the first two issues. So uh, let's move on to the next, the second part of City of Fear. And the next two issues are collectively titled Legion of the Lost, uh, Marvel UK 166 to 167. And uh, I will summarize them by reading this lovely summary that someone put a lot of work into on the wiki. Oh, and uh, I, I should also mention uh, the artist changes. Uh, Jeff Anderson, another like Marvel UK ma- mainstay, uh, draws these two issues. A mysterious figure watches on his monitor as Ultra Magnus, the sparkler minibots, and flywheels roam across the surface of Callus, frustrated at not having discovered anything further. The figure comments that there is no one at liberty who could tell them, and that just three weeks ago, nobody at all knew what had happened, until an explosion. Then we flash back to three weeks ago. A massive explosion rocks the state of Callus, taking both Autobots and Decepticons by surprise. Springer initially suspects the Decepticons, but the technicians in Emirate Zaron have a bigger theory. At a briefing, a technician explains how the explosion was most likely caused by the venting of a huge nuclear fission reactor, causing a 1.5 megaton blast. The damage was small, but if the whole reactor had gone up, it would have destroyed Talus and even Cybertron itself. 
Springer says there are no subterranean reactors, but Zaron responds with a tale from the past. And then I guess we flash back within the flashback. Millions of years earlier, Cybertron was at peace and the Decepticons considered harmless. Then Megatron rose to power and made them into an army. He declared his plans to turn Cybertron into a mobile battle station to conquer the universe, causing the war to break out. Springer realizes that such a scheme would require a huge fission reactor. Zaron agrees and explains that the, there were rumors Megatron had built this reactor deep beneath Cybertron, but no one knew where. Springer and Zaron determined to find the reactor quickly. Hours later, they are still searching and waiting for the technicians to detect anything. Springer reflects on how he's failed as a leader of the Wreckers and can't live up to the legacy of Impactor. On Springer's first mission as leader, he nearly executed Optimus Prime as a traitor, whereas Impactor never made mistakes, even dying to save Zaron's life. Springer's train of thought is broken as one technician declares he has detected a large underground cavern with strong radiation readings. Then another notes that their probes have been detected and multiple signals are attacking the base. A third technician has detected a high-frequency radio signal coming from below, wanting to know if it should be jammed, whilst Twin Twist declares they are under attack and wants to know what weapons they should use. All look to Springer for direction, but he is overwhelmed. Suddenly, the base is attacked by robot zombies who surge in and slaughter the technicians. The zombies won't stay down and the wreckers are overwhelmed. Springer realizes this is his fault, but Sandstorm tells him he's the only one free to get Zaron to safety. Springer worries he will have to leave the other wreckers at the mercy of the creatures, but realized it must be done to save Zaron. He turns to the door where another zombie stands, but can't bring himself to blast his way through, and his gun is knocked from his hand. He just can't shoot Impactor. That's right, it's a zombie Impactor. We then flash back to current time. The Wreckers and Zaron are now held in a cell deep underground. They are startled when Impactor's un undead corpse enters, followed by the Autobot Flame, who Zaron thought was dead. Flame expresses his delight to have captured the chairman of the ludicrously pompous Council of El Autobot Elders and his fearless commando unit, the Wreckers. Zaron demands to be released, but Flame is still angry about what happened at Iacon's Academy of Science and Technology, where Zaron spoke out against Flame's revised scheme to create a battle station, as it was inherently dangerous and relying on flawed technology. Flame was thrown out of the Academy, but explains how it didn't stop him. And we get another flashback. Using funds he had embezzled, Flame reactivated a lab in Callus and continued experimenting with nuclear fission, but after getting careless, he caused an explosion. Everyone assumed he had died, but he had been blown clear and found a tunnel heading down to Megatron's engine room. Since then, he has made everything ready and used the Decepticon computer to react and control the corpses of dead Transformers to form his Legion of the Lost. Now everything is ready and Flame has captured Zaron to brag, but Zaron is outraged as the reactor is old and dangerous. However, the captives are bound with inhibitor bands and Impactor's corpse easily subdues them. Flame leaves the corpse of the Wrecker's former leader on guard while he goes to take care of other matters. 
Flame checks up on the problems on the surface, only to see Ultra Magnus and Sizzle arguing because Magnus has sent flywheels for reinforcement, and Sizzle disagrees with relying on a Decepticon. Flame deduces this squabble will keep them occupied. In the cell, Springer is near catatonic, having succumbed to a nervous breakdown upon seeing Impactor's corpse. Zaron tells Springer that he only he can help them save them by using his leaping ability to reach a hatch in the ventilation ducts and get to the surface to find reinforcements. But Springer has lost his self-confidence. Zaron argues that Springer can do it, telling him that Springer is insulting the memory of Impactor. Fight on, Springer, fight on. It's what Impactor would have wanted, cried Zaron, and the word's effects are, are not felt just by Springer. Springer agrees and leaps. For a moment, the corpse of Impactor hesitates, but then the computer signal takes over and he jumps onto Springer. Both of them go up into the vent. Zaron and the other Wreckers decide to break out of the cell before Flame realizes what has happened. In the ventilation duct, Springer tries to get Impactor to remember who he is. He talks of Impactor's courage being an example to him, and tells Impactor to fight back, all the while as the corpse tries to attack him. Suddenly, Impactor speaks, wanting to know what he was doing and what he has become. He wanders off as Springer determines to save Cybertron. Okay, so that's the Legion of the Lost, so... I guess we, we kind of flash, we get like a lot of explanation as to, you know, what was happening and why Callus was in the state it was in la in the last part. So, like, what are your, your immediate thoughts? I, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Like, my, my immediate thought, since we were just talking about art, is that the art change to me seems like... I, I don't mean to say this in a disparaging way, but it feels like Jeff Anderson is kind of like a poor man's Jeff Sr. <laughs> like, that that's kind of the vibe I get from the artwork in, in these two issues. Um, and that, you know, I guess what you were saying before, you know, that, you know, Dan Reed has a little more kind of curvature and, and cartoony nature. Pizzazz. This this has uh, a lot more kind of those hard angles and stuff that that I think you know uh, Jeff Senior is is pretty famous for. Like it's not it's you know there, there's some personification in the faces, but I think most of the you know the body types and 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 shapes and everything you know they retain that kind of angular robotic look and everything. Yeah, like. I, well I was just going to yeah. say, like, Jeff Anderson, to me, has always been, like, a very functional artist. And he has he has drawn a lot of Transformers UK. And he, like I said, he's he's always been functional. But I've never really, you know, like, his art isn't very exciting, I guess. Like, like I said, like, at least Dan Reed's art had, like, pizzazz to it. Or, you know, its own right, distinct right. St uh, style. Like, I don't know, Anderson's just seems very, like... Like it, 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 it does the job, and that's it, basically. I mean, there's, you know, not not to uh, not to make light of, of the the work done or anything, but I mean, the the there there are some good moments in it, you know. Like I like I like when Impactor like slams open the door in that that opening splash page, like that. I think is one of the better, you know, pages in in the two issues and everything. And I, I do, but I do see what you're saying about, you know, some of the artwork being 
kind of just functional, like that it, it gets the job done, you know, it tells the stories through flashbacks or, or what have you. I mean, the, the first time you see, like, the, the flamed hand of flame, you know, like, and, and you see his, his eyes and he's, he's going back to, you know, the, the weeks ago where the explosion first happened and everything. Like, there, there, there is that notion to me where I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a, a character that visually kind of looks a lot like Hot Rod or Rodimus Prime, but yet he's this kind of crazed lunatic scientist who's taken it upon himself to basically <laughs> turn all these Cybertronians into zombies and stuff. So it, it does have a very, like, Superboy priming kind of notion. Like, and, and, and I guess, you know, I don't know, like, like in terms of Transformers fiction, I mean, is, is this probably one of the most earliest stories where you had a, I mean, I know you can say like Grimlock was like a, a doofus in the Marvel comics sometimes and everything, but like, it was never to this degree, like where you have like, you know, a crazed evil Autobot. I mean, you know, in terms of, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, when when I think of stuff like that, I think of later things that we talked about, and you know, robots in disguise, and and later IDW books. But in terms of like the the Marvel chronology, it's not like it was very often where you'd see, you know, oh, sorry, I'm an Autobot who sort of lost his way and skirted that edge, and you know, it didn't matter what my fac- faction symbol was. I mean, I clearly you know, flames like this kind of almost, you know, Mangala-esque, you know, scientist that's just, you know, basically out for revenge because Emirate Xeron stubbed his toe. And, you know, I, I don't know that I can blame the guy because, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever gotten a really good opinion of Emirate Xeron in anything I've, like, read of, you know, because it's like, I think when you read, like, the U.S. comics, he's just kind of like this whiny guy who's running away from stuff all the time. And in the U.K. comics, he has a lot more, probably, time devoted to his character, you know, like, where he could conceivably, to some people, be, like, a Professor X mentor-type character. But I I, I think, kind of like how, how you're saying, you know, sometimes the first time you're introduced to a character is what sticks to you the most, and I think... You know, I'm kind of like, I get that he's supposed to be this important dignitary for the Autobots or or a politician even or something like that. But it does feel like sort of more flimsy than some of the other sort of famous Autobots. The first time you encountered Emerald Zaron must have been what? When he was like pissing his pants running in the sewer from Galvatron? Like yeah, at the end of Marvel? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like things like that where you're just like, you know, I, I don't think I, I remember anything other than that. You know, that that's my that's my snapshot of Emerald Xeron, you know, where he's just kind of like that guy, like, you know, running in terror as opposed to, you know, here, like, obviously, like he gives... Springer, a pep talk, he kind of turns things around, he's actually, you know, trying to stop Flame from doing what he's doing, even though, you know, eventually he has trouble doing that, you know, so it's like, you know, there's definite things that you can point to where you can say, oh, look, Derek, like, you're wrong, like, he's not just, you know, that guy that's, you know, running away in terror from Galvatron, but... 
again, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of question, like, obviously, like, like, you know, maybe there's something to what Flame's saying. You know what I mean? Like, not, not that I agree with what he's doing, but, but it, it, that doesn't mean that, like, maybe Emery Xeron kind of sold him up the river the way they were just kind of like, all right, yeah, you're crazy with this whole engine thing. It's not like Galvatron didn't try to do that in the Rebirth cartoon episodes or anything. Like, you're just... You're just flat out crazy, Flame, and Flame's like, "Wait a minute! Like this is this is unfair. I got drummed out of the Science Institute of Autobots for this crap, you know? Like this is <laughs> this is this is messed up, man. And like, I, I guess you know, it's funny you talked about like the flashback within the flashback, which supposedly is a sign of bad writing, but like, I don't I don't know that I, you know, necessarily agree with that in context of this, but. I, I kept thinking for some reason of, like, the IDW, like, Megatron and all this stuff we've talked about lately, like, the autocracy and hypocrisy and all that kind of nonsense. Because, like, I, I was thinking about, you know, it, it's funny because th this this also kind of leads to, you know, I guess what I was talking about with my opinion of Emerit Xeron, because he has this line about, you know, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we just thought the Decepticons were, you know, harmless cranks we just humored them you know and it, it's like it's one of those things where you just feel like man like you might be a famous autobot and you might be like you know uh, uh held in high regard because of your position and who you are but man did you not have your finger on the pulse or what like because clearly like it's like we thought they were harmless cranks oh yeah it just led to like four million years of war but they were just harmless like like sorry whoops like that was a bad mistake you know so it's like that's i guess i just say that to illustrate like that that that's kind of where my my head is at when it comes to him like i i get that there's probably some things about that character that are positive and good but i i just kind of feel like there there are also things where i'm like man you just you don't know what's going on, do you, man? Like, you know, like, there's some stuff that just has, like, you know, zoomed right over your head, you know? Yeah, I get you. Well, it's it's, it's interesting, because this, this story is, like, one of the first times, like, it's, it's, it's hard to believe, but it's, like, this story is one of the few times, like, in those first few years where we see, like, stuff from before, like, the war, like, began, or, you know, we hear about how the Decepticon movement was started, or, you know, things like that, so, you know, it, it, I think that's all interesting. Um, I think I would defend, like, Zaron, just because, like, usually, like, I think that, like, the, uh, the background is, like, he was the one, like, smart senator who saw how things were going and um it's like the the senate surrendered to megatron and zaron just took like all the autobots and they went into hiding while the senate just surrendered and then megatron slaughtered like everyone basically so like if not for zaron's like foresight like there wouldn't be a resistance I, I guess I guess at I guess at that point he didn't think that Megatron was a humorless crank. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he was. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure at some point he did think that, but then he was probably the first one to say, "Hey, uh, this is starting to get dangerous. Like, why don't we, you know, do something about it?" And you know, the rest of the senators were like, "Puppy cook," like or whatever. So, but. No, like, yeah, no, but I get your, what you're saying. Sometimes, like, that kind of stuff is like, wait, how did you not, like, see this coming or anything? Like, or maybe you should have seen it coming a little, like, sooner or, like, you know, not had your head stuck up your aft, you know. But, 
Um, do you like uh, like Springer's kind of crisis of like uh, doubt or I mean this is really I, the first time Springer's really been focused on like as leader of the Wreckers. So I mean I, I think it makes sense you know like because he 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 hasn't really been the leader all that long and and he's got a lot to live up to so but there's that part of it where you're like hey look like he's it's one of those things where like he's he's thrust into this position of of command but then at the same time like you know sometimes a lot of that hesitation i mean that that's why he sort of doubly freezes up because he sort of hesitates and then those poor bastard technician guys who are not toys like start getting slaughtered you know where it's like get the fuck out of the way dude like you know and 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 so like you it's like you feel bad for those guys because they're like come on springer what do we do ah! you know stuff like, and you're just like help you know. us we don't have toys on shelves yeah like, ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we're, we're, we're up we're... for grabs like ah! yeah i thought it was funny i thought some of those guys looked kind of like rung like from the IW oh okay comics. okay like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. skinny and like they had sort of like like eyeglasses almost so i was wondering if that's maybe where like james roberts like you know had the visual idea for rung or whatever but you know what i thought was really funny was like those inhibitor bands like all the like oh, prisoners oh, were wearing. Like, <laughs> like like they've got like little blow up <laughs> yeah uh, like tubes inter- yeah, or whatever. like swim tubes or something yeah <laughs> I yeah, thought that yeah, was yeah. kind of funny. Like, and I, I'm like, shouldn't you like pin their arms down or something? Like, I, I'm sure it like disables something in them, but like, it's like maybe they're like, you know, the the zombies were like, all right, you know, the arms go under the bands, like, oh, okay, <laughs> and flames like, oh, motherfucking zombies, like, uh, he's uh. like, not not only did Emir Xeron sell me out, but you you. Radio controlled zombies have sold me out. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you, I, I guess maybe just to, to turn it to the whole like spooky nature of, you know, the kind of theme and everything, like the idea that is somebody who was the leader of the Wreckers, Impactor, is basically now kind of like this half degradated bot that you know his face is messed up and and half of it is kind of disfigured and he he looks like you know i mean if 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 this was a uh, if you want to look at the personification of it you know it's like he's half a man right like if he was a human being he you could see some of his skin and muscle and 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 what he used to be but mostly he'd be kind of like a bony bloody you know corpsey looking you know person where you could see his ribs and and then all those kind of things like is that something that like i i know you're saying like you know oh this is more kind of straightforward workman's art but i mean is it like a disturbing thing to see you know a, a character like that like especially because i know you know you're for for you this is kind of like the beginnings or at least you know in the midst of you know kind of them telling stories of the wreckers in the early Marvel comics. So obviously like, you know, maybe not, maybe not the first time you read the story, but obviously now you've got a lot of connection to, to the wreckers and all these characters. So is it something that's kind of like disturbing to you to see the character like that? Or is it just kind of like, you yeah, know, it's they... a, like that's, that's certainly something that, you know, Jeff Anderson nails is like the horrific nature of like impactors like existence right now. 
and like that he's he's still got some kind of spark of consciousness too which is kind of like probably pretty horrible for him like he it see once he talks with springer it seems like he he kind of like comes to some kind of horrible realization like what's been done to me like am i dead am i alive so i thought that was a very like effective moment i mean that that kind of also puts truth to what ultra magnus was speculating earlier right that that, yeah. that there yep. could be a possibility to to redeem and or you know recover the the kind of personalities of some of these these corpses you know depending on if they're too far gone or not yeah i i liked uh Furman's, like you know storytelling like gimmick of you know kind of opening it up with those first two parts where you're like, what the hell's going on? And then there's these, these current two parts are kind of like, this is what's going on. And then, yeah. you know, the next yeah. two parts will be like, here's how it's going to like be concluded basically. Well, yeah, you, you, you open in the middle of the zombie apocalypse and then, and then, you know, Rick Rams wakes up and you find out, you know, a couple episodes later or issues later, like how, how did we get to this zombie apocalypse? And it's kind of the same thing. There was this, you know, there was this explosion in in Kalis, and and you know that that you know, Flame is like this Mangala mastermind behind the whole thing, and and he wants to slap rocket engines on Cybertron like Galvatron <coughs> did in, in the Rebirth and everything, and and so you're like, okay, now now you sort of get what's going on and everything, and what they have to sort of put a stop to, you know, and you know, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of on board and everything. Cool. Okay, well, I guess, yeah, let's move on to the conclusion of this tale. And let, do you have anything else to add? Or? No, no, I'm good. Okay, so, yeah, let's uh, move on to the last two parts, uh, uh, composing uh, Transformers UK 168 to 169, and this story is called Meltdown. Uh, and the artist changes yet again, uh, Robin Smith. Flame's computer delivers an update on the various situations. Springer has reached Cybertron's surface and joined up with Ultra Magnus and the Sparklers. They are now proceeding back underground. Flywheels is still seeking reinforcements. The other Wreckers are loose in the main complex but contained by his Legion of the Lost. Emirate Zaron is seeking flame and being allowed to proceed to central control, and the repairs to the main reactor are complete. The engines, the engines will be fired in 4.86 breams, and Flame's plans will be complete. He cannot contain his glee. Ultra Magnus and Sizzle are still arguing about whether or not it was wise to send Flywheels for reinforcements. Magnus believes Flywheels has to come through as the Decepticons are also threatened, but Sizzle isn't convinced. Privately, Springer also wonders if it was the best idea, but understands the pressure on Magnus. Meanwhile, the Wreckers are losing against the Zombies. Broadside tries to reach the armory, but a zombie attacks and starts to crush his head. Suddenly, it is knocked aside by a spear. Broadside turns to see his savior as Impactor, still wondering who brought him back to life. Broadside tells him it was Flame, and the former Wrecker leader heads away. Broadside turns to the now-open armory, stocked full of weapons. Zaron has reached the main control room and confronts Flame. They are still arguing about whether the reactor is safe, but Flame claims Zaron is only concerned that the Council of Elders will find out they discredited the wrong person. Zaron argues that both the Council and Flame's disgrace are ancient history, but the renegade Autobot doesn't agree. 
Zaron determines to shut down the reactor, but as he heads for the door, Flame transforms into his fire tank mode and blasts him. Zaron realizes that he, if he transforms as well, the shock to the system might kill him, but it might be the only way to stop Flame. Ultra Magnus Springer and the Sparklers meet up with the other Wreckers, but are disappointed to find all the zombies have already been destroyed. The Autobots set off for the central control room, but the computer recognizes the high threat level and seals the blast doors. Needing heavy artillery to break through, Springer and Broadside head for Autobase. Springer declares that nothing's going to stop him now, but he's not so sure when another set of doors are blasted open to reveal Trypticon in their path. In the control room, Zaron continues to dodge Flame's blasts and sees the computer reporting an imminent meltdown by the main reactor. Zaron uses this to convince Flame that Cybertron is in danger and proposes to lower the reactor core and seal it to save the planet. But Flame believes it will save the plan and Cybertron will still become a battle station. Outside, the Wreckers, Sparklers, and Ultra Magnus try to laser their way through the blast doors with no success. Springer and Broadside have not yet returned. Then Sizzle shouts as Trypticon comes lumbering down the corridor. The Autobots prepare to fight, but Springer stops them. Ultra Magnus' gamble is paid off. Flywheels couldn't get huge numbers of reinforcements, so instead brought the largest Decepticon of all. Trypticon smashes open the blast doors and everyone enters, observed from afar by Impactor. Inside, Zaron is trying to convince Flame to let him at the reactor controls, but the paranoid Flame believes it is still a scheme to discredit him. Then Ultra Magnus enters, picks up Flame, and throws him aside. The other Autobots and Decepticons arrive, and Zaron explains that the only way is to isolate the reactor from the blast, but this will involve going through the chamber and the radiation will destroy whoever is in there. Zaron proposes to go, despite protests from Springer and Ultra Magnus. Flame has now recovered and summons more zombies. Trypticon and Flywheels lead the Autobots into battle as the surface against them. Meanwhile, Zaron prepares to meet his destiny. Just as he is about to open the door, Flame charges at him to kill him. Then Flame drops dead, a harpoon in his head. Zaron turns to cease Impactor, who now fully remembers. Impactor tells Zaron that he is already dead and he has no place among the living, so he is the natural person to shut down the reactor. Zaron doesn't know what to say and leaves his old friend for the last time. Impactor enters the chamber and reaches the control. Zaron reaches the surface, to the other's surprise, just as the engines around them explode. Zaron explains that Impactor has succeeded in containing the blast, and says, Give thanks, Autobots, Decepticons, our world is safe. The plans of an insane Decepticon and the Autobot who carry on his work have been buried forever. Give thanks to the Autobot who died twice so that others may live. And that's the end of uh, Meltdown and of the collective city affair in total. So uh, what do you think? I think that Robin Smith's art reminds me a lot of Jose Delbo, like that they that, that, that it's kind of got that look of sort of trying to capture a little bit like what I mean, I know not everybody in here is is a toy, but I, I do kind of get that vibe of kind of a, a 
Jose Delbo pencil yeah, Transformers the, issue. You know, like it looks it looks like it would it would fit. Like it wouldn't look out of place if if uh, you know this was followed by a, uh, a you know a reprint of the the U.S. Transformer comic at the time. I, I was going to say Trypticon scale is like all over the place in this issue. Like it's sometimes he's like towering over everyone, and then there's that one panel of him in flywheels crushing zombies where he's only like maybe twice as tall as flywheels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess you have to look at the, the foreshortening of it, but yeah, no, I, 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 I see what you're saying. It makes sense. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a, it's a cool ending. Like, you know, you, you, you do have some kind of maybe recompense, you know, for, Emirate Xeron's character because he does try to face off against Flame himself. They, I don't know. There's still something about Emirate Xeron that doesn't quite sit right with me. But but I mean, at least it seems like his his heart is in the right place at the very least. I think the the twist that they get Trypticon to show up to help I think is really cool. And you know, I don't know why it just makes me like flywheels and, and Trypticon. Like it's a cool, you know, as as you have coined it, you know, this is a cool little rival fusion between the Wreckers and and the Decepticons, basically. And then you know, the the fact that Impactor basically again sacrifices himself, and he also makes Flame kind of look like a chump when he you know chucks his harpoon straight in his face. You know, like that's a pretty that's a pretty yeah. awesome scene and everything. So like that that stuff is all really cool. And his sacrifice is 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 again a cool moment. I you know I I think it's kind of funny with Emerald Xeron at the end like sitting there with kind of his hat in his hand like well I didn't get to do anything because I'm not as cool as. Impactor, okay, <laughs> let's let's all remember him and go home. But you know, other than that, other than that, you know, him coming away, twiddling his thumbs, because it, 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 I don't know. To me, it, it's it's funny. Like even even the scene where he's, it's like he's he's saying, like like that one panel that you know the it's the one right above the one you were talking about with with Trypticon where you thought he looked out of scale with flywheels where they're stepping on the zombies, but that first sort of long, long ways panel of Ultra Magnus and, and, and Springer basically going, look, no, I should go. I should sacrifice myself. No, I should sacrifice myself. And you can see him there going, I'll totally do what needs to be done. But if you look at the art, he's got those kind of like shake lines and stuff where he's kind of like, I'll totally do it. I'll totally sacrifice myself. I'm shaking. I'm pissing my pants. I'm really, I'm scared, you know? So it's like, there's, there's something about it where I think he protests too much. Like, because it's kind of like, he's like, I will totally sacrifice myself. And then when Impactor shows up and he's like, no, it's cool, dude. Like I'm pretty much dead anyway. And he's like, whoo, okay, good. I, I didn't want to do that anyway. <laughs> you know but, like yeah. in, in the commentary and like the idw like marvel uk classics collection it's like uh Furman says like this was directly kind of like he was he was homaging like spock's like sacrifice mm-hmm. wrath mm-hmm. of khan basically with impactor here and uh That's yeah so like it, it's, it's 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 a pretty cool moment and I, I think, uh, you know, Impactor's, like, you know, Impactor harpooning Flame in the Head definitely had an impact on many, like, UK, like, readers at the time. Because, you know, 
both James Roberts and Nick Roach are want to have impact or shoot people in the head with harpoons, like in their like later <laughs> day work. So yeah, 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 like I think that's that's kind of telling. I, I see like that they have, you know, it's like when, when Flame is fighting with Ember at Xeron, they also kind of throw in the whole thing of like, well, look, Flame can transform into this, you know, tank thingamabob, you know, but, but Emmerd Xeron, I guess he, he can transform, but it, I guess it's like one of those things where it's like, it'd be really painful and he hasn't done it in a millennia or whatever. So like there's, there's yeah. also that, that kind of handicap, I guess that, that he has as well, where it's like, I guess, you know, maybe comparing him to professor X isn't that far off, you know, like obviously he, you know, for, for the, the race of transformers, you know, I guess that is kind of a handicap, right? Like you yeah. can't, you can't transform all the time and, and it causes you a great amount of pain, you know? So, so there's that aspect to the, to the fight as well. Like it, the commentary states that, you know, we had people like letter in the letters pages, like calling us, you know, after Zeron first appeared, like and sending us letters, like, what does he turn into? Like, what is, what is Emirate Zeron's like alt mode? And then like Simon Furman kind of says like, yeah, I thought, like, you know, I, I thought I'd bring up the opportunity for him to transform here, but then never have him do it. So it's like he's kind of, like, trolling the audience. <laughs> Uh, you know what's funny? I'm gonna just troll back and go. I don't care. Because I think because Emmerich Zero is pretty fucking lame. I don't know, but yeah. Maybe he turns into like a, a Oscar or a Grammy or something. <laughs> he's like all gold. Like he's he's got a he's got a gold record. Yeah, I guess so. Like a, maybe he became the golden disc or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. Emmerich Zeron is the golden disc. Yeah, I don't know, but no, but yeah, like this is. It's funny because we're we're about we're in the next part of the show. We're discussing the classic like G one episode Dark Awakening, and this 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 story came out two years after it. But yeah. like, and it it kind of has the same similar theme of an old like dead Autobot hero coming back to life. With an, you know, and then eventually like sacrificing himself again. But like, I don't, I don't feel like Simon Furman had seen that episode, like, or or was like trying to rip that off or anything, like, because no, like no. I, I, I think it could have been that it hadn't even aired in the UK by that point either. So like, you know, like I think a good idea is a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we don't know the timetables exactly. I mean, I know that this came out in 88 and then Dark Awakening aired in the US in 86. But like you said, we don't know when it aired in the UK. And even if even if, say, it did air in the UK in 87, like who's to say, you know, this is like a weekly book. Like who's to say what their lead time was, you know, on on writing a lot of these stories, you know. So, yeah, I but yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't get any vibe. He was trying to uh replicate the, something from the cartoon or anything i also well i also feel like like reading some of those like letters pages from the uk comics and stuff like all the time it seems like they were constantly trying to like discredit the cartoon like that's like a the fake story like the, the comics mm-hmm. are the real story so yeah like, yeah you know because as far as I know, like, I think I read somewhere that, like, they didn't get, like, the cartoon, like, an, on a cons- consistent basis, at least. Like, the comics were the main source of, uh, you know, Transformers fiction at that time, so. 
but you know like I, I like this story like i think it's it's kind of a minor classic like you know when you think of uk stories you'll think of like target 2006 or time yeah, wars yeah. or even like the legacy of unicron but like city of fear like is sometimes mentioned as a classic but i think it's it's kind of like a minor classic yeah i don't i don't think it would be the first thing i thought of but in terms of this you know in terms of you know having a theme of of zombies for fan holes fright fest you know like this works like this is this is clearly you know uh, there are frightening things in terms of you know how these robots are personified and then you know it, it also does give you a nice sense of catharsis though too because you you have a cause for the zombie, you know, because like a lot of zombie fiction is very depressing and and kind of supposed to be characteristically the uh, 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 some kind of social commentary on sort of the hopelessness of existence, you know, like you know, I guess you know, subtly or not so subtly, right? But in this, it's like okay, fine, like you can apply that to the moment, you know, when, when these poor robots come up and, and especially in the sequences where like, you know, Springer's dealing with his troubles as having, you know, this newfound command, you know, leadership thrust upon him and, and those split second hesitations cost people their lives, you know? And so there is that aspect of, Oh man, like this does kind of suck. Like, you know, the poor technician that, you know, was just trying to do his job and then gets, you know, zombified or, or the poor bastard in the beginning of this story. That's like, well, J Muck told me to walk down the street. Oh my God, I'm fucking dead. You know? And it's like, those things are kind of, God damn you, J Muck. <laughs> yeah. You son of a bitch. You know? And it's like, it's, like you know so there are those things that are conceivably you know heavy and depressing but i think that the moment you get into the notion of well look this this ridiculously crazy you know super villain basically in in the autobot flame you know is, is sort of the mastermind you know the mad scientist behind this whole thing and then the notion that it 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 it's kind of like cathartic too, like the whole notion that the whole time Ultra Magnus is thinking, man, if I give Flywheels a gun, he's going to shoot me in the back, and then he doesn't. He actually, like, saves him from zombies. And he's like, look, if I let Flywheels go, like, there's the possibility, you know, all my other troops are saying, look, that was a bad move, dude. Like, he's just going to laugh you off and leave us to die. But he didn't, you know. He brought back Trypticon and, yeah. and kind of helped them wreck shop and everything. So, like, I mean, the, you know, that portion of the story is, is certainly way more cathartic than you get in any kind of zombie fiction, I think, where, you know, it's like, look, they actually, you know, for, for the most part, they, they actually, like, solved the damn problem, you know. And, and, yeah, it was at the cost of, I guess, you know, Impactor's second life, but it, it's not like that second life. I mean, had had his second life continued, it wouldn't it would have been a depressing zombie social commentary. But in this case, he actually, you know, went out like a war hero and, and is going to be, you know, remembered in perpetuity, you know. So it's like in that sense, like there's a lot of sort of positivity towards the end, you know, where they kind of wrap up the story. So it's not yeah. you, you're not sort of drugged down into the mire you're actually kind of like you're in pretty good spirits by the time it all wraps up yeah definitely um i i was just my last comment was going to be that um 
I'm kind of disappointed, like, like, like you said, like, Flywheels is pretty, like, cool in this story, but, like, he never really goes on to do anything else significant, like, in any fiction, really, like, like, like the next time... I like how the the wiki's, like, you know, he's never been on the cartoon, but he was in the season four intro, because they pilfered the animation from the commercial, Uh, you know? Yeah, but it's, like, the next time I think Flywheels shows up in the UK comics, it's in Time Wars, and then he gets, like, slaughtered by Galvatron Mm -hmm. and Megatron, Mm -hmm. so, like, and then, you know, like... He showed up in IDW comics, and then he died in his first appearance. Like, he gets killed by the, like, Decepticon Justice Division. So, mm. yeah, like, it's too bad, because he was a pretty, like, likable, I wouldn't say, like, adversary, but, like like you said, he kind of, like, you know, he, he made good, basically. He, he kind of felt like, you know, a little bit of the way they tried to handle Blitzwing at the end of Five Faces of Darkness, like, that he might have... He, he conceivably could have done a swap or, 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 you know, given up being a Decepticon or something like that, you know, like, because he didn't seem like, you know, he, 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 he at the very least, even if he believed in the Decepticon cause, it seemed like he, you know, like a lot of kind of anti-heroes or whatever, you know, he had his own sense of honor and, and, you know, lived up to that, his side of the bargain, basically. Yeah. And just like Blitzwing, he's a tank and a jet. Yep. But, but anyway, yeah, so I think that's it for, like, City of Fear. And uh, we're going to take a little break, maybe play something, and then uh, we'll be back to talk about Dark Awakening. So stay tuned for that. The Supermates couldn't stop it. Amazing. It's incredible. The Fire and Water Network couldn't contain it. We didn't come here to fight with monsters. We're not equipped for it. The House of Frankenstein returns in 4D. They meet at the castle and hold debauched gatherings. Four blood-curdling episodes. Four classic horror films. Four supernatural adventures with your favorite superheroes. Four chances to lose your mind with sheer terror. Starring Lon Chaney Jr. When the full moon rises, I turn into a werewolf. With only one desire in my mind. To kill. John Carradine. I am Count Dracula. But I'm known to the outside world as Baron Latos. You see, before you were a man who lived for centuries, kept alive by the blood of innocent people. Julia Adams. Please, what is it you found? I don't know what you call it. It sounds incredible, but it appeared to be human. Peter Cushing. This place has been accursed the evil of some who abide here. And at long last, Vincent Price. Nine killed you. Nine shall die and be returned your loss. Coming in September and October to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I can't wait. There isn't time. There isn't time. House of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. 4D. 4D. Hey guys, welcome back from that exciting commercial break, and now we're back into the second half of Fanhole's Fright Fest Transformers Tuesdays. Of course, before me and Mike were discussing some crazy Transformers UK comics, and now we're back to discuss an episode of the original 
Sunbow animated series. But it's not just me and Mike that's here tonight to discuss this episode, Dark Awakening, that we're going to talk about. I've got two, besides me and Mike, other fan holes with us joining us on the second half. So why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here. Justin is here. And also, Tony. By the way, Ethan Zachary, we could have used you in this episode. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All they had to do was swap out, like, Prime's floppy disk. Nice. He needs that Atari 2600 joystick button to press so Prime can detonate at just the right time. Optimus, Optimus Prime's mind is only, like, 30-something megabytes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he's here, he's back, and who cares how? Must complete plan. Yeah, what's the plan? But yeah, we're, we're, we're actually here to discuss the original Generation 1 episode, Dark Awakening. And this ties into our whole Fanholes Fright Fest theme, because as, as we were talking previously on the first half, we were dealing with these kind of zombified Transformers in the UK comics, and now we're kind of, you know, without getting into too much detail, because Mike's going to go into that in a few minutes, but basically, you know, we're dealing with a, a zombified Optimus Prime in this episode. There, there's some nightmare fuel in this fucking episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but I guess, I guess, you know, yeah, without further ado, I think I think Mike's going to look at uh, a synopsis he found online, and then we'll we'll... You know, once he's kind of completed that, then we can go ahead and, and discuss details on, you know, the episode, maybe when we first encountered it and kind of what we think of it now and then and all that kind of good stuff. So go for it, Mike. All right. So this episode is from season three. It's called Dark Awakening and written by Antoni Zalewski. And uh, this is a very brief summary that Comic Vine has up for it. Uh Fleeing through space from pursuing Decepticons, the Autobots dock at a mausoleum, the burial place of Autobots killed in the Great War. Daniel sees Optimus Prime alive, but how can this be? And although Optimus Prime can't remember the recent past, Rodimus Prime returns the Matrix to its former bearer, possibly spelling doom for all the Autobots. So yeah, that's that's all they have written down. I mean, dun, dun, yeah. dun. Well, we figure, you know, most people listening to this probably already seen the episode, so it's like... Yeah, yeah, this is, this is kind of what, like, the, the TV guide synopsis. Yeah. It's not gonna It's not going to reveal too much, but just enough so you know what's going on, basically. Well, I, I also call this, like, you know, uh, the the Rodimus two-parter, because I think if you watch this episode and the Burden Hearts to Bear, this is where they were trying to make Rodimus a more, you know, standout leader. And I, I, this is one of the things I was going to bring up, you know, is like with Dark Awakening, they were like Hasbro was really trying to sell you on the fact that Optimus Prime dies. He's dead. He's gone. You know, bucket up, children. You know, we got a new kid in town. And, and like, you know, like when I was a kid, you know, Derek, you're talking about like our thoughts when we were younger. Like this was really impactful because at this point i seen robotech which had characters die but that was anime this was american cartoons i mean yeah they're still producing korea and like you know china stuff but this was like a main you know prime time like you know show for us like when we came home at four o'clock in the afternoon or well when transformers got shunted to like 7 a.m in syndication but you know them saying like you know I Optimus Prime is fucking dead. 
not just kind of dead, but fucking dead in this episode. That really, like, you know, really drove, like you said, was like this is supposed to be a horror, you know, themed, uh, you know, episode. And it really was that. It was like, because when you see, like, you know, the way Optimus Prime acts, you know, during this episode, because he's zombified, you're like, holy crap, that is not my Optimus Prime. What the hell is going on? And it, it really is really a powerful, you know, story. This this episode is kind of like proof to me that like Hasbro executives at the time had no freaking idea like how much, you know, Optimus Prime meant to kids like at the time. And you can tell like because, you know, they, they put together, you know, the return of Optimus Prime by the end of the season. And then, of course, infamously, they re-aired this episode and like totally like butchered the ending of it by having <laughs> right. you know Victor Caroli go like, "Hey kids, don't worry, like Optimus Prime's not dead, and like he he's coming back next episode, like so don't lose your shit again, like because we don't want any more angry letters from parents." Optimus Prime will return. Yeah, you know it's funny because I I think for me I had the the you know, re-edited ending on a VHS tape for so long. Like, I, I, I can't remember a time, you know, I, it's conceivable I could have seen the original ending without the Return of Optimus Prime disclaimer tacked on the end, but I, I feel like I just can't remember a time when I Hat, you know, when I did watch the episode without that tacked onto it, like, like for some reason, I guess because it was on that VHS tape for so long, I thought until I bought the the DVD sets from Rhino, like I always kind of thought like if you know, I don't know, if the Return of Optimus Prime was like you know episode you know twenty two or twenty three of the season, you know, I I, I thought that this was like episode twenty one, like I thought literally that's when it chrono you know chronologically took place just because of you know that 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 new ending was tacked on to the you know recorded copy I had on a VHS tape. But you know when when you actually look at the order of the episodes, kind of like what Tony says, like this is kind of like midway through season three, and it, it's almost kind of like you know I, I I think some of you probably Justin at least is familiar with this storyline, but you know it's 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 kind of akin to you know, Mark Wade writing the return of Barry Allen storyline where it's like for a long time they were, you know, Wally West was trying to find his sea legs almost like he wasn't, you know, the speed force guru, you know, flash that everybody loved right out of the gate. You know, he had a lot of growing pains to go through and, you know, they, they took a lot of, you know, time like kind of developing his character and he actually grew from being kind of you know uh, sort of a, a womanizer and kind of a, a directionless kind of he he's rich but then he's you know doesn't know what he wants to do with his life and all that kind of stuff to somebody who, who became very focused and became a father and a family man and all these other things and like i think what Tony was trying to say was like this episode and the burden hardest to bear, you know, especially kind of put Rodimus on a path where, you know, yeah, he, he might've been kind of fidgety, you know, and, and have his own kind of concerns and foibles going into having a leadership role. But, but these were, you know, beyond transformers, of the movie kind of like these life defining moments for the character and kind of, reaffirmed him going into, uh, you know, a direction where he was going to be self-confident. Of course, 
having said all that, you know, the return of Optimus Prime, of course, throws all that out the window. The you know, but 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 at the time when they were when they were trying to craft that arc in season three, like this was kind of, you know, the midway arc when when he, he would go through these trials and tribulations. And I, I think the idea was supposed to be by the end of it, he would get his bearings and be kind of the, the solid John Wayne type leader had there been no return of Optimus Prime and had there been like a fourth season of season three, for lack of a better yeah. term. Yes. When this episode was written, I, I'm pretty positive that they intended this to be the last word on Optimus Prime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, when when you when you look at the, I mean, I guess you know we can go into details blow by blow, but <laughs> I mean, like Optimus Prime, he says goodbye at the end, you know. Well, that and and that he's he's in that that Autobot flagship shuttle, and I mean that shuttle gets blown to Kingdom Come. I mean, like. It's funny how, like, when when they try to spin it in Return of Optimus Prime, is like, oh, yeah, Optimus is just, like, floating out there in space. And right. You found him, you know? And it's just kind of like, you found what? You know? Like, <laughs> well, Ultra Magnus even says, he's like, you know, this supernova will be his, like, new memorial or whatever at the end of the episode. So I was like, right. okay. Well, right. I guess he just sailed straight through that, like, nova, like, you know. Right, right. Yeah. And, and 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 one thing that I was going to bring up, Derek, I know you 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 probably love to jump on this, is like this does a big disservice to Rodimus, not this episode. I'm, I'm, I keep going back and forth from Bernard Hardest Bear and this episode, but this episode too, is like it does a great disservice for Optimus Prime the way they wrote him to really pass the torch, and for Hasbro to shit all over Rodimus and like you know not let him take control, and it's all in and. and one of the things I, I was going to bring up, and this is probably like you know political. I don't care, but like I think this is like our generation, like now, when we were kids, if people died or something happened in a movie, we got over it. You know, we had games like you know War Game, not games, but movies like War Games or you know uh, Red Dawn, where uh, people died even if they were heroes, and you had people who stepped up and took their place. And this was just so much crybaby bullshit. Like, bring Optimus Prime back. And I'm like, no. Why why do that? Like, that's part of the, the story. You know, that's like the, the continuation. Make Rodimus seem cool. And I think Dark Awakening made Rodimus seem cool because he wasn't going to give up. I do. I mean, you know, I guess we're, we're kind of jumping over, you know, you know, we're not really going in any kind of discernible order, but I, I do like the, the moment where, you know, you know, hot rod slash rod comes back to confront Optimus prime at that point, you know, once, you know, once they're on the flagship and, you know, the, they've kind of tracked him back, you know, and then they know he's being controlled by the Quintessons and all that other stuff, you know, and, and he, he's just kind of like, all right, Optimus out front and center you know, like just just the way he says that, and 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 the kind of line itself is almost like, oh, he's he's basically ordering Optimus out in front of him. Do you know what I mean? So so yeah. it, it's it's an interesting dynamic because you've got a guy who's in the middle of this fight with someone who's essentially a father figure, but he he's kind of got to be the person in charge of the situation and you know obviously like it's not like he's like this 
victorious combatant by the end of it. But I mean, he, he certainly stood his ground, you know, and, and you know, they, they sort of give Optimus the out of, you know, Optimus is the one who breaks his own conditioning. But, you know, I guess you could argue that if if Hot Rod wasn't there to sort of snap him out of it in this, you know, physical fashion, you know, that that he would not have the the wherewithal to, you know, break himself free of this control mentally. Yeah. Um, I, oh, well, you know, going back, like, like I said, I skipped ahead a little bit, but um, one of the, the main things we have here is, do you think this was like kind of a teaser to people, like for Optimus coming back? Because for a minute, he does seem like the old Optimus. But like you said, since this is, you know, October and scary, spooky, there, there are those cues that like Optimus isn't just himself. Was that like kind of unnerving to you when you watched this as a kid? I thought the whole mausoleum thing that they didn't know where it was was unnerving. Like, I, I don't know how you guys reacted to that, but like, I, I, always, I mean, I get the sense that they, that they made this memorial for the Autobots, right? And that's fine. Like, I don't have any problem with that. But essentially, they're playing with the idea of this is a ghost ship. And like, it's, it was funny to me that, you know, the, the way the episode starts, they're on the run from Gal. Elvatron, Cyclonus, and the sweeps, and and you know the Quinnessons have basically given Galvatron the information on where the Autobots are, and they're playing this sort of long-term game where they want Galvatron to herd the Autobots toward this mausoleum, and then you know set up their whole master plan with Optimus Prime. But it, to me, it's kind of funny that they even when they stumble upon it, because basically the you know, Galvatron shoots down the Autobot shuttle like he does in Transformers the movie, and again, they do the whole, you know, shuttle pod escape trick thing, and the shuttle pod basically stumbles upon this mausoleum, and they're kind of like, I I prayed that we'd never see this, you know, this thing again, or whatever, and that's when we get into the whole, you know, story setup. But I, I thought it was kind of funny that like I, I mean, I guess I get the idea. It's like if you if you are doing something where you you spread somebody's ashes or you 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 send them off in a boat or or burn them on a pyre or something like that. Like they're gone. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. It's like it's not like I mean, you know, yes, you know, you may come back to that spot again. You know, you know, say it's a beach or a you know, uh, a river or, or someplace like that, like you may go back there to pay tribute, but it's, it's, it's quite a different thing from somebody who has, I mean, I, I've seen things now where it's, it's blown my mind too, where people have certain, you know, memorials where it's like this photo realistic engraving on like a, yeah, yeah, because like, there's like a statue, yeah, yeah. Heel or, you know, what, whatever it is, you know, and, and so it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, well, you know, they could have easily had a memorial or a mausoleum built on Cybertron where everybody could go, oh, dude, have you been to the Optimus Memorial at Iacon City? You know, clearly there... Clearly there was one in, in Beast Machines, right? It gets, like, blown to kingdom come, right? So, so like, you know, but he's not buried there. You know what I mean? So, like, that, that part of the, the story seemed weird to me where it's like, oh, there was this big mausoleum and they just sent it off into space. And 
I guess well, it also has the horror element because when they like, you know, look in the crypt, he's not there. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, yeah, there's the aspect of the unknown. And um, I, I, I don't know if this is worth mentioning, but have you guys ever seen the the superpowers Galactic Guardians episode called The Ghost Ship? I have seen a lot of superpowers, but I, I can't remember them specifically. So, yeah, it, probably it, not. It's funny because the guy who wrote this is the same guy who wrote that episode. And it's like he sort of he, he recycled some of his story from superpowers. <laughs> if that makes any sense because like in that episode you've got like superman firestorm and cyborg and they're like charting space so you know they're they're not necessarily on the run from the very beginning but then dark side comes in in a boom tube they start trying to shoot down you know the you know he's like i would destroy the superpowers team you know and all that shit right and so he he goes into it and 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 they they shoot them down and then you know firestorm turns the, the ship into a life pod and and then they stumble upon this quote-unquote ghost ship but cyborg and spike witwicky basically have the same line where they're like it's the size of manhattan you know so it's like you've got you you know you've got spike witwickety and um and uh you've got uh, ernie hudson saying the same shit you know basically like so so to, to a point the story was kind of recycled you know, and, and, and has the same notions, but, you know, that whole ghost aspect of it, you know, or ghost ship aspect of it, the, you know, the kind of the unknown being frightening. But then at the same time, like that, that's something that's tough for me to wrap my head around. Cause I'm like, wait, you've got a mausoleum the size of Manhattan and you didn't know where it was or where it was going. Like, what if it's right? <laughs> like I'm, I'm like, Autobots are supposed to respect the sanctity of like, life across the universe like what if the mausoleum that was the size of manhattan like slammed into like the hujibs planet or the ewoks planet <laughs> or something like what the fuck were they gonna do about you know i don't know it's just to, to, it's, to be fair nobody would care if they slammed into the hujibs planet but <laughs> right, right. but uh, no i'm just saying like you yeah. know like, like yeah. i'm like you know i'm just picturing like this cutesy race of of you know just got this bit, yeah big flying bullshit that's flying around the universe and like where's it going who knows where it's going yeah, yeah it's like it's kind of like you know I, I mean at least tony stark had the excuse that he was drunk when he shot all his shit into space for the guardians of the galaxy and taser face and all that crap but it's like i don't know what what the autobots excuse was there it's like what was uh you know perceptor and blaster were like drunk on energon yeah man we just send that shit out into space you know like i don't I don't know what they were thinking. I, as a kid, like, I wasn't scared by this episode, but I, I do remember it made me feel very, like, apprehensive, and I didn't really like it. But, like, somehow I skipped it when I was a kid because I remember watching the movie. I remember watching Return of Optimus Prime and Rebirth. And then probably, like, sometime in 88 or 89, like, I remember being at my grandmother's watching transformers and it came on dark awakening and i was like you know the, epi the episode started and blah 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 and i was like i don't remember this one and then when they found the mausoleum i was like yeah i definitely haven't seen this one so you get to all this optimist stuff and i was like wait what like this is you know like this is like discovering gold i was like this is a brand new episode i've never seen so i was really excited and doubly excited because optimus prime was back you know and i, I always liked optimus prime um but yeah like it it's so disturbing, like, just, 
you know, the fact that Optimist is still battle damaged is it, and he's like jerking like uncontrollably and talking in like clips and phrases and the scene, you know, you listeners can't see my avatar, but the scene where like Optimus has the Rodimus like he's like grabbed him from behind. He's pulling him backwards, like he's pulling him backwards so hard that like something is leaking from his chest. I, I assume it's Energon or something. But I just remember that scene specifically, like really bothered me. I was like, he's gonna break him in half. I was like He's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's making him basically he's bleeding you know it's like if you know transformers had blood they would leak kinerjon basically so i was just like that that scene always really bothered me and then of course the very the very the very end of the the episode we have optimus sitting in that you know pilot seat and you know he's got an arm off half his face is missing and the ship is still blowing up around him and i'm just like holy cow like I, I'm so I remember thinking like I'm so glad that I know he comes back and he's okay because this like I said I, I it didn't scare me I just remember thinking like this is really bizarre and like I I remember like whenever I would like see it, it reran again as a little kid like I kind of like I didn't want to watch it just because I thought it was so like yeah, weird like you, yeah, like you don't you know like you know to me. You know, you know, you know like what, you guys, you heroes die, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. It's like you know, you you guys said like the uh, uh, executives really underestimated the appeal of Optimus. They really did because like I, you know, I loved Optimus. He was great, and I really did not want to see one of my favorite heroes like twitch uncontrollably and like speak in kind of like stuttered clip phrases and like be reprogrammed as a you know instrument of evil and like he's you know he's like. He just turns around and like shoots uh, Rodimus point blank in the chest, and I was like, "Holy cow! Like, is Rodimus okay?" I was like, I, "Like, I was like, you know, e- even though I knew Rodimus was okay because I've seen those episodes one, I was just like, "Holy cow! Is he okay? Like, he's gonna be like in repair bay forever." We're like, "Yeah, man, this this episode like kind of, you know, you want to talk about like childhood trauma and like needing therapy? Like, this episode kind of kind of did it down around me, I think." I think that's like one of the biggest things about this episode is like <clears throat> they took what you knew, and, and like I said, you know, I, me and Derek have talked about Ronimus a lot, but the the whole concept is they made Optimus a bad guy for a minute. You know, he was reprogrammed, kind of. He like you know went to the dark side, if you will, and that's scary because Optimus, like throughout all the you know generations of toys and and cartoons is the icon and that is that is kind of scary like not nemesis prime not you know an evil doppelganger like prime went bad for a minute i mean even when i first saw the episode i kind of got the idea that you know he wasn't in his right mind or anything so i mean i i I don't you know i'm not gonna like it's no uh you know i turned bad for no reason or i went crazy and that makes me evil or whatever so like no fun on him yeah, so I mean, it's I I I I understood it like the first time I saw it. So I, I like I I was probably like similar to Justin, like kind of disturbed by the amount of like you know graphic imagery and like violence in it. But I I don't think I was ever like you know uh, like my childhood wasn't raped or anything. Like you know like I wasn't like they turned Optimus into a bad guy or whatever. Yeah, so. I think it was a conscious decision to make a what the fuck moment, you know? 
can I talk about like a little moment that I did like and still kind of makes me laugh? Like, I like that humorous scene with the Dinobots where they're like, you know, me sludge not glad to see you. You dead. We did. They kill like you. Yeah. I this that still makes me laugh, but like, yeah. <laughs> that is funny. When they, well, because I like I like how they finally start to realize what's going on by the end of that scene too, because they're like. Wait, something not right. <laughs> like you, you like, guys lie. The stupidest guys in the room realize that there's something wrong. <laughs> I like. I like. It's like they like they leave. Who do they leave the control of the planet to? Like <laughs> Snarl and Sludge. Like, the two like dumbest ass Dinobots. Like what? What were the Quintessons doing? They shouldn't have been having a private chuckle or whatever. They should have fucking gone to Cybertron while all this was going down. <laughs> Uh, but th- this was also a good episode for the Quintessons, though, because uh, uh, I-, I think Hasbro really wanted to push the Quintessons as a bad guy, and they are creepy. Quintessons, like, I mean, the the, the full five faces or whatever, they- they're really good bad guys, and they're trying – I don't know if they were trying to go away from Decepticons, but at the same time, like, you know, this this did give a little bit of uh, merit to the, the Quintessons being, like, a bigger bad than the Decepticons. Would you guys agree? I, as a kid, I always thought that the Autobots and Decepticons would like call a truce and team up against the Quintessons. Like ultimately, like that's like that's how I saw like the series ending. I guess as a kid, like that's that's what I had in my mind. I, I remember like telling like my friends at school, I was like, "Yeah, the Quintessons. Like they're all they're gonna team up and they're gonna beat them." And then you know. Uh, Rodimus and Galvatron, like, they'll shake hands and everything will be A-OK. seems like that would be the only logical thing to do because uh, y- you get the idea that the only reason why this master plan of the Quintessons was enacted was because the Autobots were in control of Cybertron at the time. But, like, had this happened, you know, I don't know, pre-Transformers the movie when when you know, Shockwave and Megatron were in control of Cybertron, you know, they, they probably would have tried to do something similar. You know what I mean? Like some way to lure their, you know, you know, high command out there to get blown away too. Like it, it, it just, it, it seemed to be more of a matter of the Quintessons wanting to take back their, you know, what they perceived as, you know, what is rightfully theirs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and and I guess, you know, in terms of, of the, the Fright Fest aspect of this, I mean, I guess it does help that that the early moments and scenes that surround the return of zombie Optimus Prime, like, take place from Daniel's perspective, because he's already sort of, you know, you can tell, like, you know, all the Autobots... It's uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, all the Autobots are uncomfortable, you know, heading back to this mausoleum, but but to him, it's, you know, it's a, you know, a human being who's not, you know, like, Spike's an adult, and he's kind of like, wow, this is massive, this is the size of Manhattan, like, it's a big deal, but I, you get the idea that Spike's lived a little more now, and it's not, not something that would be yeah, as impactful on him, but, but Daniel's... This is a haunted you know, he's kind of like, you know, and to him, he, I mean, that's the first person he thinks of when they say the mausoleum. He's not thinking of Ironhide or, you know, Huffer or, or Wheeljack or any of the other guys. He's, he thinks, Damn it, where's you know, Charger? Damn you! 
he's thinking of of Optimus Prime, you know. So so and then and then you know him stumbling into, you know, like these kind of, you know, Autobot corpses essentially, you know, like that, you know, and the, the way the lighting and 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 all that kind of stuff was going on in this, you know, on this ghost ship, like that's, you know, that that that's pretty kind of scary in terms of, you know, the age that Daniel is and, and you know, him kind of experiencing that. And, and then again, you know, like that, that's another good example for Rodimus. You know, yeah, I get it. He gives the Matrix up pretty easily, right? But, you know, people point to that and kind of go, oh, you know, what a jackass Rodimus is, whatever. But, like, I think in terms of Rodimus kind of stepping up and saying, all right, Daniel, there's only one way to know for sure. Let's go check it out, you know? And he's the one who says that. It's not Cup or Magnus or any of those other guys. You know, it's him that steps up and says, all right, well, the only way to find out is to, to go in there, so let's do it, guys. I, I like the part at, towards the end where uh, he's like, where's Optimus? And Springer's like, he's in the bridge, but the doors are locked. And Rodimus just, like, pulls a brawn and, like, just runs straight <laughs> through the door. Just, yeah, just bangs through the door. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty awesome. When we talk about horror, you know, like as far as like, you know, creepy, spooky vibes and stuff, Rodimus, it really is like the the alpha male in like a horror movie in this. He's like he makes dumb decisions, but he's also that guy, that guy you want to be on your team in a horror movie because he's, he's going to do the stupid shit. And he's going to live because he, he's like just that guy. And, you know, Derek will agree with me. Rodimus is a badass. And Mike will probably agree with me. And Justin, too. I mean, like, no, nobody on fan holes hates Rodimus. And I think, again, you know, this just shows that Rodimus is willing to give all to, like, you know, be a leader. In, in, in spite of, you know, taking on his mentor who has been changed into something different. And, like, again, that's the horror aspect is, like, what happens when, like, the guy you followed is bad, quote unquote, but not bad? You know, it's like, Wait, well, it's, you, you know what? You, you, yeah, you have that moment where he, I, I, it's the moment that I think I like the best in this episode where, you know, I had mentioned it before where he says, All right, Optimus, come out front and center. And, like, it, it basically, he, at that point, he's like, Look, I'm taking back command. And it, I, that's why I don't think Optimus is necessarily bad. You know, from the setup of the story, he's confused, he's mind-controlled, he's, you know, he's not in his right mind, but he's not, like, a bad, you know, he's not malicious or evil, he's just, they, they've, they've warped him, and, like, I love, I love his responses, like, what took you so long, you know, like, like yeah, you know, like, that's a you know, great he, line, he's desperately, yeah. he's desperately trying to not do what the Kodasans want him to do, but he can't help himself, you know, and it's just like, you know, and he's like, oh, thank God, like, you know, like, somebody's here to fucking smack the shit out of me, thank God. I think that this is a great episode for, like, Peter Cullen, because I feel like he actually gets to, like, stretch his range a little, because, you know, like, Optimus Prime doesn't often get to, like, play tormented mm -hmm. and, you know, like, yeah, he's always, yeah. or anything, yeah, so, yeah. like, this is a, this is a, the, the, I like to call this the last time that Peter Cullen really, like, you know, acted, like, out of, you know, as Optimus Prime, like, in a, a place he wasn't really comfortable, might, you know, in, but he, he excelled at it. Monsters. They made me a weapon to destroy the very ones 
I loved in life. But you will save them. Rodimus Prime. Yeah, it's much better than I'll tear off your face. Well, it's like nowadays, it's like, you know, it's, it's almost like I, I kind of feel the same way about Kevin Conroy and Batman sometimes, where it's just like, I just got to do the voice, you know, read these lines in, in the voice, and that's it, basically, and that's all they want. But back I'll then, he had stuff. a little more elbow oh. room. I'd say this is probably my second, I think I listed it as like my second favorite episode of the original cartoon, and like, you know, it's a great episode. However... It is marred by the fact that it's an Acom episode and it's like fuggly yes. as shit. Yeah, so like, yeah, it's fuggly. It's not good. Yeah, as far as the animation. Yeah, but you know, like I is, I, I, is it is it weird to suggest that like I get it because Acom has that reputation and pretty much all episodes of Transformers that are animated by Acom, which because the nature of the story itself is so ugly, it doesn't. It, it, it's funny to me. It's almost like the, the <laughs> ugliness of the animation. The animation ma- matches the ugly story. <laughs> yeah, ma- matches sort of the 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 aroma of the the actual piece. Oh yeah, know? I mean they did a good job with Optimus Prime's like battle damage and stuff, but it's like you know, yeah, it's like the the armada of Autobots it changes like size every shot it's in, and then it's like there's like eight Skyfires getting blown up, and like you know twenty. 20 aerial bots getting blown up or whatever and then you know they couldn't even bother be bothered to design some generic ships or anything and then yeah i don't know like and then my my avatar is like a shot of ultra magnus from the end where he says a line and his mouth doesn't even move and it looks like his mouth is like either yeah his mouth is either permanently gaping open or it looks like they colored in like the his lips so he looks like he has lipstick or something yeah but but at the same time though it's like uh you know like me you and and Derek and Justin have all said it is a really powerful story is it, it was supposed to be Prime's last moment is 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 defining moment and the the thing I want to bring up because I did I jumped ahead earlier but you you brought up yourself Mike the the image of Prime like half destroyed. With his eye hanging out and just like no arm, is like that was. It wasn't terrifying. It wasn't scary. It was. It was sad. It were, you're just like, damn. All I right. can't. I can't remember being kind of creeped out by that when I first saw it when I was probably like ten years old or so. Like just a one-eyed like optimist. Like like ooh like wow. You know, you know what fascinated me, like that was something that I wasn't really privy to, was this episode obviously had such a huge impact on people. Like, I, I see all these customs, like where people destroy their masterpiece off the Actually, actually I, I had to had trouble finding my avatar because people fuck up their toys to do that. Derek, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and I was just like, I was kind of shocked that 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 was like it's funny it makes sense to me like obviously we're talking about 
how you know what an impact the episode had on each of us in in its own way and stuff like that and it's only natural that it would impact other folks and that would you know lead them to you know want to have maybe a physical representation of that you know in their collection or whatever but i i I kept thinking to myself uh masterpiece transformer for optimus prime equals you know umpty um dollars and i'm like So they, I'm like, they ripped off his arm and, you know, they detailed it up and it looks all, you know, it looks like the episode. It looks good, yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. but but at the same time, I'm just kind of like, they broke an Optimus Prime masterpiece toy so that they could recreate this. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that, that I don't know. To, to me, that speaks volumes of, of, of what an impact this episode had on, on a lot of Transformers fans. Um, not, not to be that guy. I hate to be that guy guy but uh do you think the return of prime kind of like buried the lead on this because you had this episode and like return of prime i think i think that was like you know like we had we we had the call-ins and the the bullshit letters i think this episode should have been left that way and been horrible horrific and amazing because that should have been the you know, Optimus prime for me no, I I really love the Return of Optimus Prime. Like I I would I would put that in my like top ten list of G1 episodes. Like I've I've always enjoyed that. Like that's that's one of those episodes. Like I still have on a VHS tape somewhere. Like I I still love that episode. That that two parter is still a good two parter. I I feel like the what Tony is. It's like I I think Tony is representative of how maybe like the the Japanese Transformers went, you know, because it was like, I always thought it was kind of schizophrenic because it's like, okay, you've got the movie and then Prime dies in the movie and then <laughs> Dark Awakening and then Prime dies again and then Return of Optimus Prime. But by the time all that stuff got over to Japan and then they do Headmasters, they're like, oh, you're fucking with us too much, guys. Like, we'll we'll have Optimus in this first episode of Headmasters, but then we're, we're getting rid of them. You know, like no more. Like we we want to we want to have what we thought was the original setup. Like leave us alone. You know, like that kind of thing. So it's almost like what you know what Tony's saying kind of kicks off into the Japanese Headmaster series. But I think what Justin is saying kind of kicks off into the whole you know rebirth version. You know, so yeah. It is a good last word on Optimus Prime if that was like the last word and a good. Um, it should have been a good, like, launch for, like, Rodimus Prime, because this episode originally aired pretty, like, early on in Season 3, but I guess, you know, the the fates were not to be that way, and, you know, I would have been happy with Optimus Prime never coming back, but, you know, I I don't have anything against the return of Optimus Prime, but, like, uh, I think it does, like, especially with the added-in, like, you know, Victor Caroli dialogue, which I, I, I think is hilarious, which is, you know, he, <laughs> where he literally, like, he literally says, is this the end of Optimus Prime? Stay tuned for next week's episode, the return of Optimus Prime. Like, like zero irony or subtlety or anything, so. But no, I, I love this episode, and, um, you know, I'm, I, I wish it was kind of animated by maybe one of the other studios, but otherwise, you know, I, I, I have nothing but, like, uh, affection for this episode. You know you know why I love this episode? Why is that? Why? It's because Skydive is proven, and I'm vindicated, that Slingshot is not the lamest aerial bot, because clearly... <laughs> 
clearly skydive is a stupid moron in this episode then <laughs> he deserves the top spot of lame mysterial bot so that's that's why i like this episode well, how do you how do you figure he was he was like the aerial bot representative like or something for some reason or dude whatever. he had the fucking magnifying thing to see all of them escaping out of the shuttle that optimus prime ordered shot down and he sits there and he's looking at it going Durr, i don't know who those guys are and perceptor's like get the fuck out of the way you <laughs> dumbass and then he transforms and is like all right go up there and save those guys they're with us but skydive he's just sitting there going Durr, i don't know what that is Durr. you know but this is a good episode everybody watch it yeah, it's it's a great episode, and and I think it it fits well into our dynamic of Fran Hole's fright fest. We've got you know we've got two different zombie like Transformers episodes. So if you're if you're interested in that kind of you know uh, genre, you know, and then you're curious to see how it applies to you know personified you know robot life forms. I mean, it, it, it's a cool you know thing to do to maybe read some of those UK comics and then check this out and, and see what the differences are and how they, they both approached, you know, similar subject matter. And I, I think the, the main difference is, you know, the UK comics, they weren't beloved characters, you know, and I, I think maybe what Justin was saying before is those, those suits, you know, the, the, the studio execs probably felt about, the UK characters, you know, or felt about Optimus Prime the way most of us looked at those sort of random, nameless UK characters who were zombified in those those UK comics, and that that it just wasn't a huge deal. Whereas, you know, they they sort of miscalculated the impact that you know this sort of you know heroic John Wayne leader figure had on the the youth. Uh, you know, uh, that were watching the, the program at the time. And obviously it, it had a huge impact and everything. So, I, I mean, I, I think we've all kind of set our piece on it. So I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll wrap us up. But if you guys have any other uh, comments, questions, and or concerns, of course, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We're going to be doing this fanholes Fright Fest thing all month. So keep tuning in for our various shows. Of course, this is Transformers Tuesdays. We're going to have Mobile Suit Mondays, Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays, uh, comics, motherfucker, do you read them, big in Japan, and of course the Fanholes podcast proper, so a lot of those uh, sub-shows are going to be participating in Fanholes Fright Fest, so of course stay tuned to find out what, what other Fright Fest stuff is coming up on the docket, and until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, spookily signing off. <laughs> This is Mike with half my face hanging off, signing off. This is Justin, and may I propose an anticipatory snicker of triumph? (laughs) (laughs) And this is Tony, and in reverence, I'll say, till all are one. Galvatron knew what was what. He got the fuck out of there like as soon as he was like, <laughs> It's a ghost! Let's get out of here! <laughs> fuck this shit! <laughs>
I was like friggin' Scooby Doo and Shaggy. It was like, I like, I love the the bit where Cyclonus is dragging Galvatron away, and he's like, cowards, fight on! 